Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Hey, we are in our series on uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. We've been going through uh, uh, each book of the Old Testament, and we are chugging along, uh, and we have now made it to the book of Ruth. And Ruth is a beautiful, beautiful story uh, that if if you're not familiar with it, uh, hopefully what we have to say today will whet your appetite and make you crack open your Bible uh, to uh, right there, the book right after Judges, and and uh, read about how we can see uh, pictures of the gospel uh, and forerunners of Christ uh, uh, written about, uh, depicted for us here in the book of Ruth. So Gage, tell us a little bit about um, the book of Ruth. Yeah, and quick, quick shameless plug, if you um, get done with this episode and you want to study the book of Ruth further, um, we actually did a, a sermon series at First Press Dyersburg through the Book of Ruth um, back last uh, last summer, I believe. Um, so you can visit our website and ch- check that out, and hopefully that'll be edifying for you. Uh, we are in the Book of Ruth, chapter one, and the the first sentence gives us a lot of context here. It says, "In the days when the judges ruled." Right. So remember, last week we were dealing with the book of Judges and kind of out, outlined what that was like, what the leadership structure was like, what the, what it meant that judges were involved. Um, and here, this story of, of the life of Ruth and Naomi and, and, and Boaz um, is set in the context of the time of, of Judges. And um, Chad, Chad Bird and, and Daniel Emery Price uh, in their their podcast, 40 Minutes in the, in the Old Testament, actually, Chad makes a really, really helpful point here that that I, I don't know that I was even aware of, learned, learned something, that, you know, we read as, as Westerners, we read chronologically, right? That this happened, then this happened, then this happened, this, this happened. Um, but... Um, the the Jewish culture isn't that way. Like I don't know, we, we even realize so, sometimes when we read the gospel accounts, especially in Mark, we read it like it like okay. And the next day, Jesus was talking to the Syrophoenician woman, and the next day he's hanging out with with uh, the deaf mute guy inside. But it's not necessarily that way. Um, in, in the same way with Judges, some of the things that are happening in Judges aren't necessarily chronological. Um, they're just telling you the story of what's happening. And furthermore, if you remember um, from from past uh, book studies, we're dealing with tribes of people, right? Benjamin's tribe and Judah's tribe and, and the like. So sometimes even the judges, it's not like they're one judge, like a Supreme Court over the, the, the entire land of Israel. 
there were judges over certain tribes. So some of the things that are happening are actually happening almost in like a microcosm um, situation. Same thing with, with Ruth. And to, to set up the, the context here, um, there, there are a few hints that I want us to catch to under, understand really this, the story. First, it says there was a famine in the land um, of Bethlehem. Now, Scott, why why is that ironic? Because Bethlehem means land of bread. House of bread. House of bread. Yeah, absolutely. So you've you've got a famine in the house of bread. Now we don't know why the famine is there. We don't know if it's a punishment. We don't know if it's a judgment. It likely, if it's in the during the time of judges, Israel's probably done something to screw something up, right? Like they they have probably sinned. Um, to the point that they are facing the consequences of their actions. Why do we know that? Because if you remember um, from two books back in our study of Deuteronomy, how, how does Deuteronomy almost end? It ends with a list of, of blessings and curses dependent on them them following uh, Yahweh and following his his laws and his statutes. Right? If you if you obey if you obey me, this is going to go well for you. If you disobey me, this is this is not going to go well for you. So chances are there's a famine in the house of bread because of their sin. Right? Highly likely. So you have that going on, um, and they're they're having to leave the house of bread and go to Moab. So. There's, they're heading, leaving the the house of, of bread, and they're they're heading to the land of Moab. Now, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you're and you're even if you're an Israelite reading the, the story, red flags should start start going off that we're in um, heading to the land of Moab. Why? Because if you remember, Moab came about because Lot's daughters slept with their dad after Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Which right. is as bad as it sounds. Yes. And and from that came children and Moab were one of the was one of those children. From Moab comes an entire uh, population of people who are cut off from the covenant community. They you they are not good people. They are wicked people. And every time that Israel seems to connect themselves with Moab, it goes bad for them. So much so that Yahweh is telling them they don't enter the temple. They don't come into the covenant community. They don't worship with us. Every single time Bethlehem, uh, Israel ever does anything with Moab, it ends poorly for Israel. Somehow Israel gets the short end of the stick and they find themselves in idolatry or they find themselves in a, in a really bad situation. And for us to kind of understand, if you were, um, if you have a Bible with maps in the back, you know, that, that that's becoming few, few and far between, but those maps matter because if, if you have a map in the back and you see um, a uh, map of, Israel during during the time of the judges or Israel in, in the Old Testament, what you'll actually find is Bethlehem is just right there at the border of Moab. So them venturing into the, the country of Moab to try to find food is basically, Scott, it's the equivalent of, of maybe traveling, you know, from Arkansas to Tennessee, right? Like it's it's really, really close. And so they travel into Moab, and that's your your first um, 
red flag. And But here's the thing that, that you love about the scriptures. It doesn't tell you it's a bad idea. It doesn't tell you and then God was angry with them. It doesn't tell you that then they they made a, a terrible, terrible decision. You should know that because of the context of, of, of what Moab represents. But also at some level, you're like, well, where else are they going to go? They got to go get food. They got to get food somehow. And because that's how life is, is a night that sometimes we, we, we find ourselves in decisions where this isn't the best decision I could make, or this isn't the best situation I find myself in, but I've got to do something, right? And that's the urgency that we find ourselves in. But they go to to Moab. They apparently spend um, at least a decade there. Um, Ten years. Yeah. And you you see that during that time, they're, uh, Naomi and her husband, they have, they have children. And those children, those boys grow up and they're kind of in this situation, just like with Israel uh, during the time of Jeremiah, when they're in captivity, they're like, well, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. The famine hasn't lifted. We might as well let the sons get married. And they marry Moabite women, red flag number two. So um, what happens? Both, not just the dad dies, but son number one and son number two. And it's an entire decade of suffering. It's an entire decade of mourning and grief and trial. And it it feels like, and it should feel like, they're in a situation where it's like, man, because these folks catch a break. They can't get food. They have no family. They have no husbands. And particularly in this context, now these are three ladies without anyone to protect them in the world, right? Uh, it isn't like in, in the 21st century where, or if I use the language now that women women need men to protect them, I'll, I'll get canceled, not just from Spotify. But, but like in this particular context, they actually need the husbands. They need the husbands to, to have property, to have financial security, to even be protected from people trying to take advantage of them. Yeah, I think we we see that, and that not just here. We see that uh, on into the first century that um, there is not a social safety net like we would think of, where your husband dies, but you start drawing his social security uh, um, uh, right away, or his life insurance policy uh, helps you stay afloat, or you go get a job uh, as a secretary or a telemarketer or uh, uh, as, as as whatever job. No, that didn't happen. That didn't happen, and so women who did not have uh, a husband were were left uh, without anybody to care for them. Often, so finally they get word somehow. You know, it, it again. It's just the it's the almost like the next state over. So it's not not like it's very far away for word word to to travel. But they get word that the Lord has relented um, from the famine, and that there's there's bread now in the house um, again. And so Naomi and uh, her two daughter-in-laws, they get ready to make the trek back. But Naomi has a, a, a hard conversation with um, her daughter-in-law. She's like, look, I'm, I'm an old lady. <laughs> the chances of me having a child again are slim to none. Um, you'll be waiting a long time for another husband from, from my family, if, if at all. And tries to convince them to stay in Moab so she can go back to her family. We know that one daughter-in-law goes back, and but Ruth, Ruth stays. And it's not just that Ruth stays, Scott. It's that she uses this covenant language 
of being a part of the family. And and she she tells her right the, the big famous line: "Where you go, I go. Where you, who your family is, it'll be my family. Who your God is is going to be my God. Where you die." I'm going to get buried right next to you. She's she's all in and being a part of the covenant community. And that's huge because Matthew in his genealogy mentions Ruth as one of the five ladies uh, in Matthew 1 to make the point that God has always had this plan to bring in the Gentiles into the covenant community. This isn't something that, you know, it failed with the Jews, so all of a sudden, he uh, starts with the Gentiles. We get accused of that all the time as covenant theologians, Scott, that we believe in replacement theology when it comes to, to Israel. That's that's not true at all. The plan has always been for God to, to accomplish for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. You see that even to, with the Abrahamic covenant, right? That it is from one offspring, the nations are going to that's be exactly blessed, right? right? And, and so... You have them entering uh, back in into um, the land, and that's where she meets Boaz. Right? This is this is where there there's this this huge meetup with Boaz, and we first become familiar with the concept of the kinsman redeemer. Right. Yeah, that's no. You, that's exactly what I was going to say. This is this is the phrase, and I think, uh, Gage, you've reached the place in the story where most people, if you said, "What's the book of Ruth about?" they might say they might be able to cough out Boaz and a kinsman redeemer, but the narrative uh, of the story, what a kinsman redeemer is, uh, it gets a little fuzzy from there. So help people understand what is a kinsman redeemer. Yeah. So. Um, again, because we're in a culture where um, the ladies can't just go out and um, do their own thing, get get their own job, be self-sufficient. You know, I was raised for a long time by, by a single mom. Right. That That's not a situation in which um, Ruth and, and Naomi can find themselves. So what happened in Levitical law was there was what was called a Leverite marriage. In other words, um, if a husband died, there would be the kind of the next of kin, a brother, a cousin, a, a distant nephew. There, the next of kin would would come, and they would um, initially join in and have kids with this uh, widow on behalf of their of the deceased relative, right? right? And and, and you see the, the hints of this in, in stories like, for example, Judah and Tamar. Correct. Right. There's actually a connection really between, between Tamar and Rahab and Ruth there, and, and Bathsheba, for that matter, and Mary. But there, Judah, and Tamar, Judah and Tamar being someone else who ends up in the, in the family tree of Jesus. That's it. That's it. And, and not only are they a part of the family, but their stories are connected because right. Tamar finds herself in the, in the same situation that, that a husband dies and the brothers really don't want to carry out the law, right? They just want to use, use Tamar for, for, for their advantage. Um, and they get killed for it. <laughs> right. And so, and the reason it's such a big deal is because God is wanting the these ladies to be taken care of. He's wanting them to be protected. And in that context, that was the best way to ensure that they would actually be connected and the family would be continued. And so 
Boaz and Ruth meet. Naomi, like a good mother-in-law, is trying to trying to play matchmaker, and um, she's trying to set this situation up. And you know the rest of the the story as far as Boaz finds out he's not the closest of kin. So there's a whole negotiation uh, at the at the city gates about what to do, and and it and it turns out that it's the weirdest marriage you, uh, wedding you've ever been to. Um, and, and it works out right. No wedding ever starts with a negotiation at, at a, at a, at a table and a, and a passing of shoes, right. That's never happened in any, any <laughs> wedding. You and your wife and, didn't do that. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I've officiated tons of weddings and that that's never happened, um, uh, under my watch, but that, that sort of thing happens. And why does it matter? What well, matters because Scott Boaz is actually the son of Rahab and her husband, right? So you see um, that, um, hold on one second, I'm sorry. Katie's texting me. We see, we see, all right, let's start over. So we see that um, Boaz is actually the son uh, of Rahab and, and Salmon, right? And so uh, we see how the story ends for Rahab in, in the life of Boaz, that not only did Rahab get rescued from Jericho, but she really did, just like Ruth, become an outsider, become a part of the covenant community, right? And that's the beautiful picture of the gospel that we, uh, at any level, anytime that we um, come to faith as Christians, we are the outsiders coming to the covenant community every Amen. single time. And so you see that um, Boaz is actually a part of the, part of this this narrative and this story as the kinsman redeemer, as the son of Rahab. And you got to think at some level, um, as he's talking to to his mom and his family about his interaction with Ruth and her story and what's going on. You know, this is a little bit of, of speculation, but you also almost have to wonder if this conversation doesn't come up between. Rahab and Boaz, right? That hey son, I want you actually to to pay attention to Ruth. I've I've been the outsider. I've been the one trying to come into the covenant community. I've been the one that needed needed to be rescued. I've I've been the one that's been through this. Like you want you wonder the scripture doesn't tell us that, so this is purely speculation. But you got you got to even wonder if that's the part of the conversation. If nothing else, it, it's it's fun um, to see how the Lord really is knitting all these these plans together in the course of redemptive history. The other thing you see, Scott, that I want us to point out before we close is the the sovereign hand of God throughout the book of Ruth that I think is an important part to even seeing Jesus um, in the in this book, right? Um, that every single time something needs to happen for Naomi or Ruth, you see this continual sentence and phrase that it just so happened, that it just so happened, that it just so happened. And the reason that that matters is because what we're dealing with here, Scott, even in in seeing Jesus um, in each and every book, that it isn't by chance, right? It isn't something we're making up. It isn't something we're trying to force into the text and the lens lens that we're trying to lay over it uh, because we think it makes for really cool sermons. Like, it's actually in there because the sovereign God really is from eternity past as a, as a triune Godhead working all things together for our good. 
and has a plan for redemption that culminates in the beloved that is in Jesus. And so you see that even in the book of Ruth, even in all the things that are happening, that it just so happened that God is orchestrating every single piece to happen. And and we we close because this is the question. So what's this got to do with Jesus? Well, we've already kind of told you the connections uh, in, in the history narrative. We told you about Boaz. We told you about Rahab. We told you about Ruth and Tamar, and the lineage of Matthew. But let's look at the, the very last part of Ruth, Scott. Um, chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Do you mind reading that? For, 22. I don't mind. Do you mind uh, reading that eight, for us? 18, 18 to 22. 18 to 22. Uh, now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So what's this got to do with Jesus? Everything, right? We, keep, we say that every single episode, but it, but it matters because the at this point, as you're familiarizing yourself with the Old Testament, familiarizing yourself with covenant theology and understanding the story better, as you're reading that lineage, right? The, the thing that you typically skip over in the book of Numbers, we joked about, about that during that episode, um, you start to see, especially in verse 21, Okay, I know who Boaz is. Okay, he, I've just read this story. Oh, I know who Rahab is. Oh, wait. Obed, where have I heard that before? Jesse, where have I heard that name before? Oh, that's the granddad and dad of David. That's right. So who's David? Well, David is the great king of Israel through whom Jesus comes, right? That's that right. The, the Davidic covenant is the promise that from the line of David, is going to come a throne that is never going to end. And who is that going to be? It's going to be the King of Kings. It's going to be the, the Lord of Lords. Uh, and what is Jesus called throughout his, his ministry? Son of David, right? right? That, that in the book of Ruth, you see at the very end, what's all this about? What was all the suffering for? What was all, what was the purpose of allow, allowing a famine to happen for them to have to go into Moab, the, the big no-no country. And you know it's the big no-no country because all throughout the book of Ruth, she's repeatedly referred to as Ruth the Moabite, the Moabite woman, the Moabite, that Moabite, right? Like right. the author wants you to understand this. Well, what's the point? Well, just like in the same way that Jesus goes out of his way to interact with a blind and mute guy in, in Sidon, um, in the gospel of Mark chapter seven, you see that the Lord allows for this suffering to happen for them to go into Moab, rescue Ruth, bring her back and make her a part of the family. So that from the line of Rahab, from the line of Ruth, from the line of Tamar comes David. Yeah. And then and Christ, ultimately Jesus. who is our kinsman redeemer. Amen. Well, hey, folks, I hope this has been helpful to you as you have heard uh, uh, us, mainly Gage. He, he carried the water on this one. Th- uh, thank you, Gage. Uh, he carried the water on this one. Uh, talk through uh, what the book of Ruth is about, how it points us forward to Christ, how it sets the stage for Christ, how it gives us Christ's uh, ancestors, 
and uh, and we hope this has been helpful. If you are, if Assurance of Pardon is a podcast that you uh, enjoy and are getting something out of, um, we don't have any sort of subscription model or anything like that, but we've got a link on our show notes to buy me a cup of coffee, and you can send us a you can send us three dollars to buy us a cup of coffee, uh, and that, that will uh, Gage and I would would gratefully enjoy greatly enjoy that. Uh, you can click the link in the show notes to do that, and that's one of the ways that we uh, can know that you are uh, you appreciate and enjoy the show. Absolutely. Scott's got 27 kids and I have a toddler, so we'll take all the coffee you can get us. I have five kids at last count. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we hope this was definitely hope this is helpful. And, and ultimately we rejoice that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Um, Also, if you have other questions about, about things like the kinsman redeemer, let me, let me introduce you. uh, If you haven't already checked out to our, our brother's, um, that are doing the great work over at the Society of Reform podcast. You know, we're, we're, it's a privilege for us to be a part of that group. They are always adding to the arsenal, um, and they they are always producing fantastic content. Um, they they get great professors and other other authors um, that are part of that podcast. Any anything from covenant theology to church planning. Um, so you can check that out uh, through your RSS feed for Society of Reform. Uh, podcasters or go to society of reform podcasts portal uh, dot com and, and, and that'll be a chance for you to check out the different shows and, and give those guys some love uh, as always if you have any questions about ruth or anything else that we've talked about you can hit us up on facebook instagram or twitter uh, or you can visit our website at assuranceofpardon.com and uh, you can give us a message there or email us at contact at assuranceofpardon.com there's all sorts of ways in which uh, we love interacting with our listeners and we get feedback all the time Uh, And until next time, Scott, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.